subscribe, stay up to date. Episodes drop every other Monday. And welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. To join in on the conversation, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed, or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, I think I've done a decent job of keeping up with recent music, but in the past couple years, it's gotten harder and harder, because the industry right now is the wild, wild west. Back in the day, new music was released on Tuesdays. If you wanted to get a physical copy, CD, vinyl, whatever, you knew that was the day that you had to go to Tower Records, Virgin Megastore, wherever you got your media. And if you wanted to hear the latest tunes, you knew the radio station that would play those singles. But now, where do you go? You have Spotify, Pandora, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, YouTube Music, so many places. And what's their cadence? Is it New Music Monday? When can I hear the latest from a band or artist? I have no idea. The reason I'm bringing this up now is because I just came across a new single by the band Extreme. Yes, you heard that right, and I can't tell you how blown away I was by it. But we'll get to that in a second. For the uninitiated, Extreme is a band from Boston. They formed in 1985 with Gary Sharon as their lead singer, Nuno Bendicourt on guitar, Pat Badger as the bassist, and Paul Geary on drums. Now, if you listen to their albums, they are an in-your-face rock band. But unfortunately, the singles that broke through into the mainstream were the wimpiest songs I've ever heard. More than words, come on. It didn't help that the video was shot in black and white with the profiles of Gary Sharon and Nuno Bentancourt singing to each other. I mean, it was really cringy to watch. And then you had their other single, Wholehearted, where Gary Sharon's like dancing around on these steps. I, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking with the video, but both of those songs are horrific. So I didn't really appreciate Extreme and dig into their catalog. But then in 1998, something happened. Gary Sharon became the lead singer of Van Halen. Oh, oh, you don't, you don't remember that? Yeah, not many people do. But yes, after a falling out with Sammy Hagar, Eddie Van Halen hired Gary Sharon when Extreme was on hiatus. They released an album, which bombed phenomenally, but I actually liked it. There were at least six out of the 12 songs that were decent. Their lead single, Without You, is a banger, although it did sound like he was trying to mimic Sammy Hagar, and I think it actually would have been a better Sammy Hagar song. It also has Van Halen's worst song ever, How Many Say I. That's just more than words bad. But I did see them live in concert twice, and it was amazing. Gary Sharon is an incredible frontman. And he also had the benefit of being able to sing both David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar songs. 
because for a very long time, Sammy Hagar would only perform maybe two or three David Lee Roth songs. He always felt, hey, I'm not part of a cover band. So this was the first time that we got to hear the full catalog of Van Halen being performed live. So from that, I really got to respect Gary Sharon. And in turn, I started listening to Extreme a little more and more. So this year, Extreme released their sixth album, aptly titled Six, and their first single was called Rise. I have to tell you, there is a solo by Nuno Betancourt. The first time I heard it, I was absolutely speechless. And I was watching this, trying to figure out how he is making those sounds. As an added bonus, I am going to put the video as part of the Matt Watch That playback playlist. So check that out and start listening to Extreme. Tell me if they are as underrated as I think. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It. Two stars Watch at Your Own Risk. Three stars Standard Fair. Four stars Worth Checking Out. And five stars Must See. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. On this episode of the podcast, I'll be reviewing The Last of the Mohicans from 1992. So how'd I miss it? Well, this was one of those prestige films, you know, Oscar bait written all over it. And back in 1992, I was watching Wayne's World. I was watching Batman Returns. I was watching Ladybugs. So obviously my taste in movies hadn't reached that elevated sense. It was directed by Michael Mann, who helmed Manhunter, with the first appearance of Dr. Hannibal Lecter, performed by Brian Cox, Heat, the first co-starring vehicle for Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, and biopics Ali, Public Enemies, and Ford vs. Ferrari. He is a four-time Academy Award nominee for The Insider and The Aviator. The screenplay was co-written by the director and Christopher Crowe, who scribed The Mean Season and Fear. It was based on the 1826 novel by James Fenimore Cooper and the 1936 film of the same name written by Philip Dunn, from an adaptation by John L. Balderston, Paul Perez, and Daniel Moore. Could there be any more writers? It stars Sir Daniel Day-Lewis as Hawkeye. The three-time Oscar winner was born in London and raised in County Durham. He performed as part of the National Youth Theatre before enrolling at Bristol Old Vic Theatre School. He later joined the Royal Shakespeare Company. His feature film debut was in Sunday Bloody Sunday and would bounce between parts in theatre, film, and television. He had supporting roles in Gandhi, The Bounty, and My Beautiful Laundrette. His breakthrough was in 1989's My Left Foot. This would lead to being cast in The Age of Innocence, The Crucible, Gangs of New York, and Nine. He's been nominated for six Academy Awards, winning for the lead role in My Left Foot, There Will Be Blood, and Lincoln. This is something to look out for. The game that the tribe are playing at the beginning of the film is an early version of lacrosse. So let's jump into it. The Last of the Mohicans begins in 1757, during the French and Indian War, where the British colonies fought against New France territories over disputed lands. Both sides formed alliances with members from local tribes in exchange for land and trade. British Army Major Duncan Hayward has been assigned to escort the daughters of Colonel Edmund Monroe to Fort William Henry to reunite them. The 60th Battalion will accompany them alongside their Mohawk guide, Magua. While en route, 
He purposely leads them into an ambush of a Huron war party, which was being tracked by the Mohicans, who includes Father Chingachgook, his son Uncas, and adopted white son Hawkeye. They come to the aid of the British soldiers, even though they claim neutrality, and agree to lead the daughters and those who remain to Fort William Henry. Here's a quote without context. Someday, I think you and I are going to have a serious disagreement. The Last of the Mohicans was a beautifully shot film. The landscapes show the picturesqueness of America, if that's even a word. I know I mention it every other episode, but I will always favor practical effects and filmmaking over CGI fests. This is a movie that perfectly illustrates the vastness and depth of filming outside of studios and green screens. The acting is very effective, there are no false moments. The script uses a lot of flourishy language, which made me have to whip out the British English to American English Dictionary. But that's not a negative, just an inconvenience. The battles felt realistic and unchoreographed, very raw and powerful. As I've said, prestige films are not my deal, so while I was entertained by the film, I wasn't really engaged with it. Like, I kinda cared about the characters, but I also was like, alright, you know what I mean, just that, that feeling of apathy. Now for a little trivial trivia. Not surprisingly, method actor Daniel Day-Lewis lived in the wilderness to prepare for his role as Hawkeye. The Last of the Mohicans was produced by Michael Mann and Hunt Laurie. It was filmed on location in North Carolina, at Chimney Rock Park, Pisgah National Forest, DuPont State Forest, and the Blue Ridge Mountains. The cinematography was captured by Dante Spinotti, whose filmography includes Manhunter, Crimes of the Heart, Beaches, The Quick and the Dead, and was nominated for two Academy Awards for Best Cinematography of L.A. Confidential and The Insider. Some of the night scenes were a little dark. I'm not sure if that's what was intended, but I was watching it on my computer and I definitely had to adjust the settings. It was co-edited by Dove Honing, who worked on Manhunter, Overboard, The Fugitive, The Crow, Heat, and Arthur Schmidt, who was nominated for Academy Awards for Coal Miner's Daughter, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and Forrest Gump. The score was composed by Randy Edelman, who wrote the music for Twins, Ghostbusters 2, Kindergarten Cop, My Cousin Vinny, The Mask, While You Were Sleeping, and Trevor Jones, who scored The Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, Mississippi Burning, and... Cliffhanger. See what I did there? The music was a highlight. It reminded me of artists like Joanne Shenandoah and Robert Tree Cody, both of whom passed away recently. Very talented. The runtime is 1 hour 52 minutes. It had a budget of 40 million and grossed 143 million at the box office. It was nominated for one Oscar at the 65th Annual Academy Awards. On the Ski Index, I give it 4 out of 5 stars. I'm feeling generous. If you've seen The Last of the Mohicans and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along, each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there'll be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. Kevin Pollack has been one of my favorite overall performers. He started as a stand-up comedian in San Francisco, but he's best well known for his impressions of celebrities. Now everyone does a walk-in. And alongside Jay Moore, Kevin Pollack is known to have probably the best one. 
the most accurate, the most on point. But he also does Johnny Carson, Robert De Niro, Peter Falk, Woody Allen, William Shatner, but also low-key impressions as well. I mean, how many people do an Alan Arkin or an Albert Brooks? And when was the last time you heard someone do a Gabriel Byrne impression? He's also a very successful actor, never in a lead role. He's always a supporting character, but he makes a big impact. And surprisingly for a stand-up comedian, it wasn't always funny parts. A lot of the roles he secured were in dramatic movies. A Few Good Men, The Usual Suspects, Casino. But he also appeared in Willow and Grumpy Old Men, as well as a very underrated family film called House Arrest. I don't know if anyone else remembers this, but it's about a group of kids who decide to lock their parents into a basement so that they could work out their problems and differences. Not the first piece of advice a psychologist would give, but it made for a funny movie. And most recently, he can be seen in the TV series Better Things and the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. He's also a published author. His autobiography, How I Slept My Way to the Middle, Secrets and Stories from Stage, Screen, and Interwebs. But the reason I wanted to talk about Kevin Pollack is because from 2009 to 2019, he hosted a chat show, logically titled Kevin Pollack's Chat Show. And for an hour and a half, two hours, he would interview celebrities, actors, writers, directors, stand-up comedians. And it was always entertaining, one of my favorite things to watch. He really used his natural abilities as a stand-up comedian and an improv guy to get the best out of these celebrities. And they weren't the standard questions that you'd hear on an Entertainment Tonight or Access Hollywood. He really dug deep into people's histories and had an interesting conversation with them. There are a couple of recurring segments in the show. They do the Tweet 5, which is this or that questions. There's the You're Not Buffering, where Kevin will stop and freeze in his position to make the users think that their computer is buffering. It has tricked me a couple of times, and it usually ends with the Larry King game, where he asks the guest celebrity to do a bad impression of Larry King, reveal something personal about themselves as Larry King, and throw to a funny-sounding city. There were over 400 episodes, so it'll take you a while to get through it, but I've selected a couple to feature on the Matt Watch That playback playlist, including an interview with the recently departed Matthew Perry. I thought it was apropos to include him. Plus, it was a very insightful interview. They had worked together on the whole nine yards and the whole ten yards, so it was like a bit of a reunion for them. And it just shows what I think we all knew about Matthew Perry. He was a hilarious guy, quick as a whip, and will be sorely missed. I've also included a couple of clips of Kevin Pollack on various shows, whether it's with Rich Eisen or on The Tonight Show. So these clips are all available in the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Californication, created by Tom Kapanos, who was born and raised in Levittown, Long Island, New York. He started out as a writer for Dawson's Creek and would go on to create White Famous and Lucifer. It tells the story of Hank Moody, a novelist with a case of writer's block, who looks for inspiration in alcohol, drugs, and women. His long-term ex, Karen Vanderbeek, is an architect and interior designer who attempts to get away from his toxic behavior, but keeps getting pulled back in. They share a precocious daughter, Becca, who's wise beyond her years and showing an interest in music. 
There's Hank's talent agent and best friend, Charlie Runkle, who keeps encouraging his client to take jobs, and his wife, Marcy, who works at a waxing place. All their lives intertwine with the backdrop of Los Angeles. It stars David Duchovny of the X-Files fame. Natasha McElhorn from Solaris plays his wife. Their daughter is portrayed by Madeline Martin. The Runkles are acted by Evan Handler and Pamela Adlon. The cast is charming, the chemistry is instantaneous, all the relationships are firmly established in the pilot and carry throughout the series. It also features appearances by Judy Greer, Ezra Miller, Peter Gallagher, Kathleen Turner, Stephen Tobolowski, Rob Lowe, Tim Minchin, Maggie Grace, and Heather Graham. I think the earlier episodes wanted to be shocking, and took a lot of taboo subjects as inspiration for storylines. But as the series progressed, it moved away from shocking for shocking's sake, and focused more on the strength of the relationships between all the characters, which is the heart of the show. It still has plenty of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but it now serves the story and characters. It's a really funny show, but don't expect any traditional punchlines. The humor comes out of the situations, and there are plenty of creative one-liners that are sure to make you laugh. There are times where I've had to rewind it just to hear it again. Now, I might be a little prejudiced because I always like David Duchovny from The X-Files and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, but I legitimately think that this is a very clever show, and one worth watching. Californication was on for seven seasons, 84 episodes from 2007 to 2014. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed, or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSaroski.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for the reviews, rants, and randomness. His feature film debut was in Suddy Blunday Sunday. What? Suddy Bloody. Suddy Bloody. That's interesting. His feature film debut was in Suddy Blunday Sunday. Did it again.